Oh my god, this week has moved so slowly. I think it feels that way because I spent so much time last weekend doing my taxes, like a boring old adult. So I will be making up for that this weekend. But first, we have a really fun podcast to share with you. The guest, TJ Raphael, is the host of Biohacked Family Secrets. You should definitely go check out Biohacked. It is one of my favorite new podcasts of the year. TJ talks about this in the opening of the show, but she's been working on this for five years. So you can definitely spare an hour to listen to the first couple episodes. Before we get to that, I also want to tell you about another podcast that I'm doing a little promo swap with. On Ready to be Petty, your host Tori will dive into the ins and outs of pop culture, celebrity scandals, and the juiciest reality TV. Even though the show is mostly fun and games, Tori also talks about all this stuff through an intersectional feminist lens. Ready to be Petty has covered racism, colorism, body image and diet culture, misogyny and sexism, LGBTQ representation, harmful stereotypes, and toxic relationships in media. If you're looking for a petty friend to talk shit with, look no further. You can search Ready to be Petty on all podcast platforms and follow along on the socials at RTBP Podcast. One more thing, thank you to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash follow Friday. Your support helps to make this show possible, but it's not a one-way street. Patreon backers get access to Follow Friday XL, our exclusive podcast feed with extended versions of each week's interview. And extended doesn't mean we leave in the ums and uhs. In fact, patrons get a whole bonus follow recommendation from our guests. So please consider making a donation of any amount at patreon.com slash follow Friday. And now... Here's the show. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet of folks you should know. So let's have a swirl. Well, that's enough for a place. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, the podcast about who you should follow online. Every week, I talk to creative people about who they follow and why. This is a guided tour to the best people on the internet, led by your favorite writers, podcasters, comedians, and more. If this is your first episode of the show, take a moment now and please follow or subscribe in your podcast app. Today on the show is journalist TJ Raphael, who previously worked at WNYC and Slate, and is now a senior producer at Sony Music Entertainment. That's where she hosts one of my favorite new podcasts of the year, Biohacked Family Secrets. Season one is all about the children of anonymous sperm and egg donors and what happens when they start pulling at the threads of their biological parentage. You can find Biohacked Family Secrets on all the podcasting apps, and you can find TJ on Twitter at TJ Raphael. That's the letters T-J-R-A-P-H-A-E-L. TJ, welcome to Follow Friday. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. I was uh, curious w- about this podcast when I first saw it announced, but I have to say, it's one of those shows that I started listening to it, and I was hooked from the, the first episode. <laughs> so to start off, why don't you tell folks you know, where the idea for Biohacked started? How did you start reporting on the baby business? 
Yeah. So this story really fell into my lap. I was at the beach with my friend Amber and her husband. Amber and I went to college together. We were never super close. We were in the same journalism classes and would see each other after class, things like that. And we graduated from school. We went our separate ways. I really hadn't seen her in almost a decade. I bumped into her in New York, where we both were living at the time. I'm still here. She's now relocated to upstate New York. But I bumped into her and she said, we should hang out. I'm going to the beach this weekend with my husband. She had a car. If you know anything about New York, getting to the beach without (laughs) a car is a pain. So I said, sure, I'll go. Um, It was like a little awkward because we weren't super close friends, but uh, we were catching up and she said to me, I have this crazy story to tell you. And she told me that she had done a 23andMe kit for fun and found out that her father was not her biological father and that she was actually conceived through an anonymous sperm donor. And at this time, she still hadn't tracked down her donor father, her, as she calls him, her bio dad. And being a nosy journalist, I said, this is wild. Can I record you? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'd love to tell this story. And so as I got into Amber's personal story, I started asking questions to help me suss out her story. I said, you know, well, what about the clinic where you were conceived? Have you tried to get records there? It turns out the clinic no longer exists and there's no law in the United States that say those records need to be maintained in any way Mm -hmm. for donor-conceived people to access in the future. Or if you're a parent with a donor-conceived child and say your kid is 15 or 20 and they want to get health information and the clinic you conceived them at 20 years ago closes – There's no way for you to potentially reach out to the clinic and ask them to talk to the donor to get more health information or things like that, which that just I was like, well, that seems uh, kind of alarming. Um, And so (laughs) essentially, as I kept reporting on Amber's story and, and kind of fact checking the things that she was up against in her own sort of journey to track down her bio dad, I started realizing how vastly unregulated the fertility industry in the United States really is. Um, uh, Harvard business professor Deborah Spar, she wrote a book called The Baby Business, which I read. And, you know, she's told The New York Times, there are more rules that go into buying a used car than there are with donor sperm, Um, Hmm. which was completely shocking to me. I'm like, wait, aren't we creating people? (laughs) So that's really how my interest developed with this story. It just felt too bizarre to be true. And, And as I continue to kind of dive deep, I found more stories of donor-conceived people, some people who had been conceived through selective breeding experiments, Mm -hmm. and I found more kind of shocking tales that were wrapped up in the baby business, and I thought, well this is definitely a podcast. So I've been trying, I had been for the last five years doing reporting, trying to make it. I had pitched it all over. I'd pitched it at WNYC. I had pitched it at Slate. Mm-hmm. I pitched it a couple times here, even at Sony. And the timing has finally kind of been right now for us to make the show. So yeah, that's, that's how I kind of got interested in this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really goes to some shocking places. I'm not the sort of person who listens to a lot of what I would call shocking podcasts. I'm like, I'm not a true crime person, but this <laughs> yeah. is really, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's gone to some places that are just truly jaw dropping. So highly recommend it. After Amber, the first two episodes are about her and her family. After that, how did you find other people who were the subjects of later episodes? Like, were you going online and just like these Facebook groups where people are children of sperm donors? Were you just kind of hanging out there and saying like, hey, anyone want to talk? Or what was your process there? 
Yeah, so Amber was really helpful in connecting me with other people. Um, so once she made this discovery about herself, she joined a Facebook community called We Are Donor Conceived. And I think three quarters of the people in that group, there are almost 3,000 of them now, three quarters of them, according to like a, a group survey that the moderator did, are just like Amber that found out accidentally because of an at-home mm. DNA kit. Uh, others have known their entire lives. Um, others sort of learned in their teen years. And so I would ask Amber, can you post, because uh, it's a private group, and as a journalist, I was not allowed access to it because right. people, are, it's this private community. And so I would ask Amber, I'm looking for more people to talk to. Can you post up a request? And she did, and the emails I got from people just kind of started flowing in. Then I would start doing initial interviews with them to suss out their stories, and that's kind of how I was able to build my source list. Some other folks in the series were names that I found through academic journals, law journals. A recent episode we did on a woman named Brittany Johnson. Mm-hmm. Her family wound up having to sue the cryobank where she was conceived at, California Cryobank, which is still one of the largest sperm banks in the world today. And through that trial, it was discovered that the cryobank knowingly sold Brittany's parents' genetic material that was tainted with a rare genetic condition. So I actually, I spent like two or three months trying to track down Brittany Brittany Johnson, I didn't know if she was still alive, given the seriousness of the genetic condition she had inherited. You know, there's a very high chance that at some point she will need a kidney transplant in order to survive. So I didn't Mm -hmm. even know she was out there. And the name Brittany Johnson (laughs) is a pretty (laughs) common one. Um, Yep. I didn't know where she lived. So, you know, my reporting process, um, you know, I've used a lot of different avenues of searching public records, searching through Facebook to find people. The same goes with one of our episodes. We spoke with Dr. Jerome Sherman, who literally invented the technique for cell cryopreservation. So the ability mm. to freeze sperm, to freeze eggs and to freeze other kinds of genetic material that may be used in medical settings or in science context for experimentation. I called up his son because Jerome Sherman is 96 years old, I figured there's no way this guy's still alive. So I called up his son and said, do you have any memories of your dad you could share with me about his pioneering research? And he's like, well, dad's actually still alive. And he does water aerobics a couple times a week and, <laughs> and likes to go fishing. And I said, no way he's still alive. Would he talk to me? And so that's kind of how I found him. But yeah, so it was kind of a multitude of different ways uh, in terms of building my source list uh, through Amber, connecting with other donors conceive people that she knew that were willing to talk and then just going through sort of the literature on in academic journals and and kind of bringing these you know academic journals are boring for the most part they're really dry <laughs> and so finding sort of the real human story at the center of these of, exactly. of these writings uh to tell the story yeah well so you've been reporting this for for five years is that what you said yeah, I've been working on it on and off for the last five years. So oh it's actually really interesting when um, our final episode publishes in May, it will be almost five years to the day that Amber got that message from Caitlin, her uh, half-sister on 23andMe, that wound up revealing the truth. So it's kind of coming full circle when our last episode publishes. It's it's just a few days off from when she first made that discovery five years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, when you are not busy chasing down sources or searching through boring scientific journals, (laughs) you are like the rest of us spending some time online. So let's find out who TJ Raphael follows. 
You can follow along with us today. Every person she recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at followfridaypodcast.com slash biohacked. It's Final Friday. TJ, before the show, I gave you a list of categories, and I asked you to tell me four people you follow who fit in those categories. Your first pick is in the category Someone Who Makes You Laugh, and you said Sydney Battle, who is on Twitter at Sydney Battle, and her first name is spelled S-Y-D-N-E-Y. She's also on Instagram at Sid Battle, that's S-Y-D Battle. Sydney is a writer, a comedian, an actor. Do you remember how you first started following her? Yeah, I believe it was during the bad times of the pandemic, March 2020, April 2020, when we were all at home, locked up in our houses and and not really going anywhere and spending a lot of time on the internet. And I thought that her videos, specifically the Brooklyn mom skit that she does, she sort of invented this character. And as somebody who lives in New York, I lived in Brooklyn for many years. I live in Queens now. I just thought it was was so funny and I would watch it again and again and every time she did you know kind of an unofficial series with that character and every time a new one would come out I would watch it right away I would send it to all of my friends and just say this is hilarious it's too true to life. And so that's when I started following her. And, and she's developed a couple other characters that she does. And and it seems like in the last few years, and I think because of that Brooklyn mom character, she's really taken off. Like I think she had, you know, less than 10,000 followers when I first started following her. Now she's up to 30,000 or more. So yeah, she's just hilarious. And it, it's really, I've loved especially that Brooklyn mom character because it kind of makes fun of, you know, the ritzy kind of Park Slope moms who live in $2.5 million brownstone. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I think in her skit, uh, she, you know, she goes out to her Hamptons house, uh, you know, the character does and is like, oh, there's no space while, you know, I was in uh, my small apartment in Brooklyn with two roommates trying to weather the pandemic. <laughs> and you just kind of hear from these people. It was so true to life. So um, that's when I started following her. And I, I just have loved her stuff. It's one of those characters where it's a very specific parody of a person who's, yes. <laughs> by definition, bound to this geographic area. And yet. <laughs> As someone who has never lived in Brooklyn, I can watch this and be like, oh, clearly every word she is saying in every intonation is specifically chosen. That if you know this person in real life, you are dying of laughter, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I mean, I don't actually know people that are, I mean, I... I'm not f- close friends with people that are that pretentious, right. <laughs> uh, but I definitely have crossed paths with them. And uh, it was great to get to kind of get a laugh at them. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm going to cut in a clip here from a video you sent me called To Atticus with Love, A Brooklyn Mom Story. I was so upset because the kids are missing so much culture because of COVID and the subway. And so, you know, every day I sit the kids down and they watch 10 minutes of The Wire, you know, just so that they can get some, just so, you know, and yeah. The Ebonic accent is so beautiful, beautiful, but strong that I don't even think the kids can recognize the vulgarity. So yeah, you're not friends with people like this character, uh, (laughs) but are there other folks who Sydney has either parodied or, or something about the way that she approaches comedy that really rings true with your life? Is there a specific reason why you chose her here as someone who makes you laugh? Something that connects with you in a way that other comedians don't? Yeah, I think um, I really love her dryness. Um, I Mm. feel like I have a very dry sense of humor and 
I really connected with her in that sense. She's also done other kinds of characters that I feel like are equally as dry and and sort of ridiculous and, and parodying, parody, uh, that's a hard word to say, parodying <laughs> real people who you kind of know in the world and, and it just feels so spot on. And that's one of the reasons I've really liked her comedy. It's just it's super, super dry and it just makes me laugh a lot. Yeah. Well, I also want to call it something that I noticed when I was scrolling through Sydney's tweets. And this is, as far as I can tell, this is not a bit, this is not a character. This is an earnest thing she does, which is that she has adopted a murder of crows near where she lives. (laughs) Have you seen this? Yes. (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, there's like, she's she's just got this real absurdist nature to her, um, which I feel like, especially nowadays, we need some absurdity in life because (laughs) I don't know how you could get through it without that. (laughs) Exactly. So here's, here's a quote from one of her tweets. Every Sunday, the crow outside my window screeches six calls to let my loud-ass neighbors know that my night of television is beginning. If they cause noise during this time, the murder will be there to shut it down. Yes, I had an edible, (laughs) but this is all true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like, that's just just so funny and and also absurd. And, like, you know, crows are creepy animals in a lot of ways, even though they're, like, super, super smart as well. So I think it's, like, playing on both of those things. And, uh, you know, just the idea of, like, you know, you're, like, at home, you're trying to watch your TV and your neighbors better be uh, ready to hear your your TV blasting. It's just, (laughs) I don't know, it it really makes me laugh. (laughs) It's the I think what you were saying earlier, how like the fact that you discovered her right as we were all entering lockdown, you know, it really seems like this was a a pivotal moment for comedians, right? Especially online Mm -hmm. comedians. The fact that we were all at once sharing this this experience of not being able to go anywhere, it was a constraint that forced them to think about what are the new relatable forms of comedy well it's the birds i see outside my window or it's the or it's the 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 vague impression of that obnoxious brooklyn mom i met back in the before time you know i was like there's (laughs) yeah exactly i do think that especially early in the pandemic, the first half of 2020 from March 2020 through the fall. Yeah, so many of us were inside. I mean, we had a little reprieve over the summer where we could kind of go back out Mm -hmm. a bit more. But uh, online comedians then really took off in a way that was excellent to see. And I think it's so interesting to me. I'm I'm a very big fan of stand-up comedy. I mean, Mm. pre-pandemic, like that was my hobby. Like I was going to a stand-up comedy show once a week in my neighborhood in Brooklyn where I lived and, you know, they once her 10 bucks or free shows and mm-hmm. you could kind of just pop in and see people. And a lot of those comedians, like before I think the pandemic, of course they were making online content and doing skits, but they really got attention in a way that because we were all online so much more, uh, so, so many hours of the day that they may not have otherwise gotten and may potentially it would have been harder for them to break through. So that is a one tiny silver lining of, of the pandemic is we've got all these wonderful young voices who, you know, maybe would have taken a couple more years to gain this sort of following, gain the notoriety they have. But because this light was shown on them during this specific time, they've really been able to build great followings. And I'm excited to see, you know, Sydney is also acting. So seeing what she might be in uh, down the mm-hmm. line as well. 100%. Well, that was Sydney Battle, who is on Twitter at Sydney Battle and on Instagram at Sid Battle. It's Final Friday. 
TJ, let's move on to your next follow. I asked you for someone you don't know but want to be friends with, and you said Dan Savage, who is on Instagram and Facebook at Dan Savage and on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Dan is a writer and LGBT rights advocate, and he first got famous for writing a newspaper column called Savage Love, which I think started in The Stranger, which is like an alternative newspaper in Seattle. But you told me in your email that you are especially into this companion podcast to Savage Love, right? Yeah, absolutely. The Savage Love cast is one of the longest running podcasts I think there is. It started back when podcasts were still uploaded to iPods. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I've been a fan of, I think I started listening to Dan almost 10 years ago. I've been really into podcasting for a very long time. I mean, my, how I got into audio journalism was I was 20 years old and my friend had an iPod and was like, there's this thing called This American Life. Do you want to (laughs) listen? And that was 15 years ago now, almost. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like I started, started listening to Dan really early on. He does great relationship sex love advice in the Savage Love cast. It's a call-in based show, so people call in with their questions and ask him for advice and you know some of the questions that he gets are just bizarre, they're funny, they're sad, some of them are shocking and I just find it entertaining and really fascinating and as somebody who also is really interested in you know questions around sexuality, around gender, around feminism, the advice he gives kind of touches all of that and sort of how we think about, you know, people and relationships as we move through the world. So I've been a big fan of the podcast. And then he also does a lot of political commentary, uh, both at the top of the show and on Twitter as well. He's still at The Stranger. I I believe he's like the editorial director of it now. All weekly magazines and publications are a dying breed, unfortunately. And he's sort of, you know, The Stranger is still going strong. I've never even been to Seattle, but like I've donated to The Stranger just because I love his (laughs) podcast. So yeah, I mean, he's he's just really funny. Um, I I also listen to lots of political podcasts, so I, I like Dan's political commentary online that he does uh, through Twitter. And as somebody, you know, I'm, I'm hosting a podcast about sperm and egg donors. I, I have a definite interest in sort of reproductive medicine and, and, mm-hmm. and history, and, and he kind of tweets a lot about that kind of thing, given his focus in his show. So yeah, that's one of the reasons I, I love following him, and he makes me laugh too. So he kind of yeah. doesn't take himself too seriously. Well, yeah, speaking of both political commentary and making us laugh, I was looking at Dan's Wikipedia page, which reminded me that he was responsible for this iconic moment in sort of online political activism, you might say. Um, <laughs> I don't you may know where I'm going with this. Yeah. He <laughs> and his fans of Savage Love decided to basically redefine the word Santorum, which was the last name of this homophobic Republican senator who had said some some not acceptable, nasty stuff about gay people. And this is a vaguely family-friendly podcast. I will not get too specific, but for yeah. the adults <laughs> listening, uh, it's a brilliant bit of internet activism. I strongly encourage you, if you are you know, an adult, to go uh, go read up about what, <laughs> what, what they rebranded Centaurum <laughs> to mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a gross, it's a gross definition for sure. But yeah, it's really, really funny that, you know, he was able to do that when Rick Santorum was sort of crusading against the LGBTQ community in the United mm-hmm. States. And this was, you know, way before uh, gay marriage had even become law in the United States. 
Right. And Dan, interestingly enough, I think he's invented a couple other words that we now sort of use as part of dating culture. I think he invented the word monogamish. And like, I know <laughs> like some people like that are in like quasi open relationships, like they use that term to describe themselves. And like, I learned that from listening to his show the other day. He's like, yeah, we invented this term like eight years ago. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't even know that. So he's actually had some influence on sort of the broader culture that I don't even think some of us probably even realize. Um, exactly. So yeah, he's just, he seems like a cool person that I would like to hang out with and like pick his brain all day long. So <laughs> that's why yeah. he's definitely on my list. You know, that was going to be my next question, which is, you know, hypothetically, let's say Dan calls you up and says, TJ, I just heard you on my favorite podcast, Follow Friday. You <laughs> yeah. seem cool. Let's be friends. Like what specifically do you want to do? Do you want to go somewhere with him? Do you want to just like get coffee and talk about something? What's on your mind? Yeah, I mean, I would just want to get dinner and talk to him probably about politics, probably about reproductive health care. He's a huge champion for access to safe legal abortion. So, you know, I've spent a lot of the last few years looking into reproductive health care for the podcast. And then, you know, in addition to that, when I was at WNYC and I was a producer, I was, you know, making sure that we were doing series on reproductive health care on, you know, we I was helped book the head of the U.N., women's um, organization to come talk on our show on International Women's Day. So I would just talk to him about a bunch of like reproductive health issues and politics and probably just have a great dinner, share a bottle of wine and catch up as friends if um, if he would be my friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and your emo to me, you also specifically mentioned his tweets. Is there something specific about the way that he uses Twitter that really clicks with you? Yeah, I mean, he has a little bit of like a trolly sense to him, not where mm. he's actually trolling people, but he kind of has a wink and a, a nod to him in what he will tweet. So here's one tweet that he sent the other day that I just, I find funny and it's a politically related. Um, I don't know the political makeup of your audience, but, um, you know, it was in regards to the Senate hearings for Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson and Dan tweets, did Cory Booker fail Katanji Brown-Jackson by not slapping the shit out of Ted Cruz? <laughs> and then he replies, or did he fail us all? <laughs> and so he's just sort of a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I find him funny, but also insightful when he tries to actually be serious. So that's one of the reasons I really enjoy his tweets. I'm a bit of a news junkie myself being a journalist. And so I, I'm constantly on Twitter looking at the political commentary from all various aspects and following the news in Washington and, and in New York, where I live very closely. And it's nice to kind of be able to break and have like a chuckle when the news is so mm -hmm. grim all the time. <laughs> so uh, that's one of the reasons I, I also like to follow him on Twitter specifically. Well, that was Dan Savage, who is on Instagram and Facebook at Dan Savage and on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. We are going to take a quick break right now, but we'll be back in a minute with TJ Raphael from Biohacked Family Secrets. I want to tell you about another podcast I love, and I think you're going to love it too. Upworthy Weekly, Upworthy's first podcast, is a lighthearted look at some of their most popular and engaging stories. Delivered to your podcast feed every Saturday, it's the perfect way to shake off the Monday to Friday news cycle with a refreshing dose of good news. Join Todd Perry, 
one of Upworthy's most prolific writers, and Allison Rosen, a podcaster, writer, and TV personality best known for the show Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend, as they go through the week's best stories about humanity. Subscribe to Upworthy Weekly wherever you get your podcasts. It's Final Friday. Welcome back to Follow Friday. TJ, I asked you to tell me about someone you just started following, and you said Kenzo Mizumoto. He is on TikTok and Instagram at Kenzo Mizumoto, which is spelled K-E-N-Z-O-M-I-Z-U-M-O-T-O. Kenzo was born in Brazil, lives in London, and his parents are Japanese, and I love this video he made called Living in the UK as a Foreigner. I'm going to put a clip of that in here. He's interviewing himself about all of the confusing weights and metric systems that he has had to learn. Okay, hold on, hold on. So you're telling me that in the UK, depending on what you're doing, people will use different measurements for everything? Yes. Okay, so speed, miles per hour. And for distance? Is it a long distance? No, meters, feet, and inches. Okay, but what if it's a long distance? Uh, are you jogging? Uh, yes, kilometers. Okay, but what if I'm not jogging? Then miles. Oh my God. All right, okay, uh, last one. How do British people measure volume? All right, if it's beer, pints. Everything else is in liters. Okay, that's nice. However, if it's dairy milk, it's pints. But if it's plant-based milk, it's liters. Nah, man, it's for this. I'm going to Canada. You said you just started following Kenzo. Is this the sort of video that drew you to his channel? Or was there a specific one that you found that really just cracked you up? I have seen that one and it's really funny, but I think what really got me to follow him versus maybe just watching one and liking it and moving on was he does a lot of really funny videos that I think do a really good job of capturing what it feels like to be an older millennial. Mm. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know how old you are. I'm 34, but... Uh, I'm 32. Yeah, so there's this time in like the early 2000s that I think a lot of older millennials, like, we have a lot of nostalgia for, and he does a really good job of kind of poking fun at, at how basically lame we all were back then. <laughs> <laughs> and then like how we've all gotten older and uh, kind of complain about things. So that's one of the reasons I started following him. Um, my friends that I have from high school, I still kind of have like an Instagram little chat with them and we'll send them to each other. And, you know, one is about like, you know, going to Blockbuster and, and copying <laughs> CDs onto your iTunes account. And uh, I think one video he has, he's like, you know, yeah, I'm going to go to a Linkin Park concert and bring my digital camera and then upload it to YouTube. And somebody's like, what's YouTube? And they're like, I don't really know. And like, it's hard to think of the world of ever being like that. Right. But uh, that's definitely how it was when I was in like high school and, and early in college. So he just kind of makes me have that little bit of nostalgia factor that makes me feel good and, and laugh and remember how silly everything was back then and, and maybe even more simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, since we're about, about the same age, uh, for, first question is, uh, what's your Hogwarts house? <laughs> I definitely think I'm a, a Gryffindor. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I haven't actually seen all the Harry Potter movies or read all the books, so <laughs> but I know that's a good one, right? Yeah. Now, my, my, my experience talking with other, you know, millennials about our age is that everyone thinks they were, you know, a Gryffindor or a Ravenclaw when they were younger, and then as we all get older, we're all turning into Hufflepuffs. Yeah. Some, some <laughs> Hogwarts wisdom. But, um, but no, I, I was watching Kenzo's videos, and there's one that he did that was 
really funny, but just would not translate to an audio podcast where he's talking about cell phones then versus cell phones now. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like it starts off with the cell phones now where it's like, okay, I just ordered from Amazon and bought your airplane tickets and signed these contracts and all these different things. (laughs) And then it's cell phones then. And it's like, okay, tap this four, 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 four. Four. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's the other person receiving a text that says, hi. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, I got a text. <laughs> you know, yeah. The, the T9. I used to be really fast on that. I, that was the thing. <laughs> Back in the day. I, I, I got I got lucky with the timing where I just never had to get very good at T9. Like, the the I guess before the smartphones, there was the... Oh God! What what was that? That sideways phone, the one that had the keyboard that would flip. Yeah, out. the side sidekick, the sidekick. Like the, yes. those sorts of keyboards. <laughs> there was the Blackberries and the Sidekick and the iPhone. Basically, like phones with full keyboards came around just close enough to when I needed a cell phone, where I never had to get very good at T nine. But <laughs> there's some people who who were, and it's very impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I really wanted a Sidekick, but I didn't get one, and so I was stuck with T nine. But yeah, I mean, those were the days. Just like yeah, I was so fast, and my mother was like how do you do that so fast? I'm like, that's just what we do, mom. Uh, so yeah, Kenzo gives me uh, some nice like nostalgic throwbacks that in in a, in a world where we're emerging from a pandemic and everything seems to be not so good yeah. to just take a moment and be like, oh yeah, remember when we texted like that? Like <laughs> it's nice uh, little palate cleanser on, on the feed. Agreed, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, he's he's more popular on TikTok than Instagram, but you specifically told me that you follow him on Instagram. Are you in the same boat as, as I am, where you just avoid TikTok for fear of getting addicted, or is, is there a reason behind that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't really use TikTok. I do have a TikTok just to, I don't think I've, well, yeah, no, I have never posted anything there. Um, I actually have been using it for research for reporting. Mm. For the podcast series, we're doing an episode on egg donation and these egg influencers, huh. which are a thing, um, will post on TikTok, you know, with the hashtag egg donor. And so I've been using it for research to kind of find young women who are in the process of donating their eggs and to talk to them about how much they're being paid, things like that, which is probably, now I'm saying this out loud, like the most boring way to use TikTok. (laughs) I mean, for me to just use it as a research tool. Uh, But yeah, no, I I don't use TikTok as a sort of content consumption platform. I use Instagram, Twitter, and then I have like Facebook so that I can like, you know, my grandma likes to write on my wall and say happy birthday. Mm, So I have it for that reason. But, um, you know, Twitter and and Instagram are, are the main places I I consume my content. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So is, is there anything else you love about his videos, the way he uses the internet uh, and social media that, um, I don't know, that, that, that we should we should talk about? Yeah, I mean, I just think he's kind of wholesome. Yeah. Um, or at least the videos that I've seen him upload, like, they just seem really positive. They seem sweet and fun and kind of uncomplicated in, in the way that, um, not that they're, you know, sort of low quality production, but uncomplicated in a way it's like, here's just like a nice moment for you to enjoy. And yeah, I think, you know, nowadays our feeds can become overwhelmed with negativity mm-hmm. in a lot of senses. So that's just why I, I you know, I, I gravitate towards him because it's just a nice little pure spot of joy um, in my day when I come across his posts. Yeah. And then similar to, um, to Sydney Battle, I mean, it seems like most of his videos are just him in his house or apartment in London, just sort of coming up with weird premises or funny ideas and acting them out, playing all these different characters. I'm just, I'm so amazed by this whole generation of 
TikTok comedians, you know, f- folks like Kenzo who are finding that levity, who, who are finding just an endless, seemingly endless well of things they can do without very much budget or much, you know, yeah, complicated editing or anything. Absolutely. Yeah. I wish I had that skill. <laughs> I'm not very fun. I'm not really good at making funny videos. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. You and me both. <laughs> well, that was Kenzo Mizumoto, who was on TikTok and Instagram at Kenzo Mizumoto. It's Final Friday. We have time for one more follow today. I asked you for someone who makes the internet a better place, and you said Christy Stein, who was on TikTok and Instagram at Christy.Stein. Christy is spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-I, and her last name, Stein, is spelled S-T-E-Y-N. Christy is a spoken word poet, which is not a type of person we hear about a lot in this podcast, so I love this. I want to hear about this. What do you like about Christy and about her poems specifically? Yeah, I mean, Christy, I just find her poetry to be beautiful. It's gorgeous. I think her delivery in how she kind of reads her poems and presents them to her followers and to her audience feels really different from what I see everyone else kind of doing on the internet. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I love her. And I find her work to just be heartfelt, emotional, deep, touching. And I've fallen down, you know, rabbit holes where I've just like watched so many of her videos and I'm like, wow, this is just beautiful. Mm -hmm. And spoken word poetry as a medium, whether it's on the internet or even in person is, I don't want to call it a dying art form, but I I don't feel like there are many very super popular spoken word poets. And so I just think it's beautiful. It, It feels to me sometimes that it harkens back to something simpler where I'm just going to deliver these powerful words to you. Ruby Kaur is another poet that I love. Uh, she has several books, and but she does spoken word poetry during her book readings. And, and I also follow her on Instagram and love her work. But, you know, Christy, I think she's sort of a lesser known poet than Rupi is and, and is up and coming. And that's why I wanted to, you know, give her a shout out. Like Rupi Kaur really got me back into poetry and the idea of spoken word poetry. So I just definitely want to give her credence. Uh, but Christy's sort of another one who I think has less of a following um, and is up and coming. And I also just find wonderfully beautiful her words. Yeah, I mean, you were saying earlier that, you know, pre-pandemic, you were a big stand-up comedy fan, just going out to all these shows constantly, seeing new stand-up comics. And I feel like, you know, spoken word poetry is, I assume in a big city like, like New York, there there are venues where you can go and you can you can regularly find talented poets. But I, I, I also feel like, you know, there's just not as much of a guaranteed future for live poetry mm-hmm. as there is for comedy. Mm-hmm. Some people are intimidated by the idea of poetry or they're they're not as willing i think to show up and maybe pay up to to see a poet who might challenge them who might unsettle them as they would be for someone who's going to make them laugh give them an escape yeah even in new york there are definitely venues to see spoken word poetry but i feel like the shows i've you know even pre-pandemic or fewer and far between because i just don't think it's a medium that lots of young people or artists who who want to get famous on the internet like consider yeah. for themselves and also spoken word poetry is difficult like it's a difficult medium to consume like it's it's very thought heavy mm-hmm. you know it's not just like oh here's a you know here's a joke and here's the punchline right. it's really you have to be very attentive 
shift in your listening. You know, as somebody who likes podcasts, who works in podcasting, I I like listening to things um, and hearing people talk very much. But yeah, I think as a medium, like it's not as common as a medium. I'm hoping that spoken word poetry will become more popular, especially if you look at someone like Amanda Gorman, Mm -hmm. who was the inaugural youth poet uh, for President Biden uh, last year when he was inaugurated. And she read that beautiful poem and and received such acclaim. I actually went out and bought her book after that because I so loved watching her deliver that poem. Maybe we're on the precipice of, you know, a revival of spoken word poetry and sort of beatnik poets who are out there. I would love to go see people deliver beautiful messaging in, in sort of this creative and artistic way. So that's one of the reasons I follow Christy, because I'm just like, oh, it's just it feels like a breath of fresh air when I see her posts uh, come across my feed. Well, that's just what I was going to say is that it feels like, I mean, if we are going to be on the precipice of a revival here, that it might happen more on Instagram and TikTok, right? Because like Mm -hmm. so in Christie's videos, when she's performing one of her poems, the words are fading in over her as she's talking. So you are both listening and whether you have the sound on or not, you are you are seeing the poem as it unfolds. And I think that's maybe kind of a a perfect on-ramp for someone who doesn't Mm -hmm. read or wouldn't attend necessarily a live poetry show if they're able to get a poem that way. I I feel like there's a lot of potential there for Christine, for other uh, poets to connect with people who maybe never would have, you know, experienced their their work before. Right. I I completely agree. I think maybe somebody who would never sit down and read a book of poetry or, you know, a blog or something like that with posts of poems would watch a video like something from Christy or something from Amanda Gorman or something from Ruby Kaur yep. and share it and say, wow, isn't this beautiful? Um, so, yeah, I, I hope there is a, any of the spoken word poets out there listening. Do your thing. I want more. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I wanted to edit in one of Christy's poems. Do you have a favorite that we should put in here? Yeah. So this poem by Christy, I think it's called There's Nothing Wrong With You. And I really love this poem because one of the things she says in the poem is, you know, I I don't want to hate myself for not being happy. Some days are for sadness. And I think especially in our sort of very online world, in our world where, you know, we always are kind of presenting, putting our, living our best life and like (laughs) presenting ourselves in a way we're always happy. We're always thriving. I think there's something very real and honest about saying like sometimes like I am sad or like sometimes things are not going my way and I can still love my life and be happy even if that's the case. And I think she brings a real softness to that idea and um, I, I just appreciate it and I appreciate sort of the depth and complexity of like the idea that she's putting forward. Beautifully said. I am learning to love myself on unlovable days. I allow myself to go slow, choosing kindness instead of judgment. I won't hate myself for not being happy. Some days are for sadness. And when sadness comes, I expose my heart and ask her to talk. What can I do for you? You are safe here. You are safe here. I know how exhausting joy can seem. She will appear again soon without trying. There is nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you. 
That was Christy Stein, who is on TikTok and Instagram at Christy.Stein. TJ, thank you so much for sharing these follows with us today. Before we go, let's make sure that listeners know how to find you online. Where do you want them to follow you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at TJ Raphael. That's R-A-P-H-A-E-L, like the Ninja Turtle or like the painter, (laughs) uh, depending on what you're into. And yeah, you can follow me there. I tweet about podcasts. I tweet pictures of food that I've made uh, and cute dog pictures. So um, I'm there. That's your jam. You can uh, come follow me there. (laughs) (laughs) Podcasts and cute dogs. I'm completely sold. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And you can follow me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ. And don't forget to follow or subscribe to Follow Friday in your podcast app. If you like this episode, then check out the past Follow Friday interviews with Justin Myers, a.k.a. The Guyliner, comedian Alistair Beckett-King, and Planet Money co-host Amanda Aronchik. Follow Friday is a production of lightningpod.fm. Our theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hummerwan, and our social media producer is Sydney Grodin. Special thanks to our Big Fry Patreon backers, John and Justin. Visit patreon.com slash follow Friday for an extra long version of this interview featuring a bonus follow recommendation from TJ Raphael. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, <laughs> say something nice. I'll see you next Friday.